thanks a lot for for doing this. No, no problem. Um, the first question that I wanted to ask you is, what was your favorite game as a child and why? So I used to play lots of games as a child. Um, loved all the football games like FIFA, uh, ISS. Um, but I suppose my favorite game of all time would be Final Fantasy VII. Um, I'm sure you've heard of Final Fantasy. Uh, love all the Final Fantasy games, but Seven was easily the best, mainly for the the freedom of you could just go anywhere and on the world map, and you could just spend loads of time just leveling up and getting getting yourself ready for uh, the big monsters to fight. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think the number of hours I spent on it when when you paused it, it told you how many hours you'd spent, and mine was just paused like stuck on 9999 forever so i know that uh i spent a ridiculous amount of time on there i suppose the other game for me that I spent a lot of time on was championship manager so this is a way to manage a football team and take them try and win the league win the champions league i used to always enjoy challenging myself to take an unknown team to the top over many years and would invest ridiculous amounts of hours trying to do that and I suppose always being a stato that I am, championship manager was perfect because I could just continually look at the players and see all the marginal gains I was I was making on each one, uh, which I guess lends itself to what I do now, really. Uh, managing spreadsheet, spreadsheets and uh, growth hacking and trying different things to, to, to grow the, the business. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's probably my top. Yeah, it's very interesting. It's very interesting that you went straight to kind of video games. Um, and for example, like it could have been, I don't know, playing football outside. You know, it, it really depends on, you know, who you're talking to and then you see what their interests are. Um, and yeah, games are incredible because, of course, they, they give you the chance to learn a lot um, and kind of even have a career as a football manager um testing things and trying out things uh it gives you sort of satisfaction when of course you get those marginal gains that you talked about yeah i mean i did go outside that <laughs> <And laughs> no, wasn't in plan <laughs> yeah physically um always wanted to win but yeah I, I guess naturally video games is something i think about when i think about my childhood yeah and um, so now you are the founder of two companies. Uh, one is EdTech Impact and the other one is EdTech Evidence Group. Can you tell us a little bit more about them and what they are about? Yeah, sure. So EdTech Impact was something I started two and a half years ago on the back of another business I founded 11 years ago called Innovate My School, which uh, was a large community of teachers sharing articles on how they innovated in their school. Technology always playing a key part in that. Uh, we grew it to about 50,000, 2,500 articles, 50,000 subscribers. And we were also running lots of uh, essentially speed dating events where we introduced education suppliers to groups of uh, head teachers, school leaders around the, the UK. And I guess we were always at the heart of procurement. Like basically these speed dates were a mini marketplace. And so you get to learn a lot about buying and selling to schools. And I just felt that 
the procurement was changing. Like schools were becoming more discerning. They were asking for asking better questions around what they want. They're starting to look into their and build strategies now, uh, particularly when it comes to technology. So identifying something that meets their needs requires more a deeper evaluation and from the from the supply side like if you if you're a school trying to find a product it, it it's kind of the, you've probably heard it before the wild west like there's no governance to it there's just loads of of similar competing products making huge wild claims um but on the supply side this is extremely difficult because you're competing against uh very similar products it's usually the company that has the most money that gets seen and heard because they can get a sales team to smash the phones um, and they can pay for the largest exhibition stand and i just felt it wasn't very equitable as, as a marketplace there was this huge lack of transparency um, and really difficult to try and sell into schools if you're even if you're a, a scaler so built EdTech Impact as an independent review platform to help schools find everything in one place, everything under one roof, and then make better decisions by using independent verified reviews, focusing specifically on the impacts the products will have in different uh, school contexts. And so for the, for the suppliers, we, we give them a, a platform to independently prove their quality. Um, it's free for them to join. So there's no barriers there. And then they can start to create this, this evidence base, this feedback loop between them and their customers and use all of that to, to really prove why a school should invest in them. And, and then EdTech Evidence Group kind of spun out of my work with EdTech Impact. So you've probably seen this growing demand for more evidence generally across the whole sector. You know, evidence informed teaching and learning well, ultimately, if you're investing in a technology product, you want to know, like, is it going to work? Like, is it going to work in a school like mine? What are the conditions for success? How, show, show me the evidence should be one of the questions every school teacher, parents is, is looking for or asking if they're talking to the supplier. So, but, you know, this is all right saying it, but it's really hard to build up. Like, there's a lack of knowledge, I think, on the supplier side of how to do this. You're a startup then you've got so many competing priorities. How do you find the time to build your evidence base? So the EdTech Evidence Group, a lot, so I came alongside many other EdTech founders in the UK to help build the knowledge base around what good evidence looks like and how you can start building it, essentially. Yeah. I've also seen that, for example, you partner with Finland or with other institutions that kind of provide kind of scores in terms of like the right reliability of a certain product and what are the, the things that for example a teacher should be looking for so basically when someone comes to uh, a tech impact and they browse for example a company they really are able to see okay um, this this company was endorsed by this this and this not just of course real people real teachers but also kind of uh, other institutions to really okay assess the quality of of the whole kind of whole of the whole platform and that I found really really interesting and it's something that uh, you don't see very much out there um, yeah I mean this is so fragmented the education sector the marketplace in particular and there's a lot of good organizations doing some good work about about out there building up 
helping build the evidence base and Education Alliance Finland uh, are providing independent evaluations of the, pedag uh, the pedagogy of, of learning tools and the data they're producing is I, I thought was brilliant and everybody should see this. So yeah, we've integrated with them so that everyone who has one of their evaluations, that data will now appear on their Ethic Impact profile. So it's just trying to join the dots ultimately with the goal of helping the, the end user, the, the buyer, schools, teachers, parents, make better decisions. And the way that you came up, came up with this idea was uh, at your time in, in one, of the, one of the schools you were working at, you were uh, the IT manager of a, um, of a high school, if I'm correct? Yes, so I was actually IT technician when I joined at Cardinal Heenan Catholic High School in Liverpool where my, my dad was the head, uh, so um, he, he, I was fortunate enough for him to give me a job there and I eventually just got myself involved in all sorts of projects there. The first big one was setting up a school BLE, uh, we used Moodle, I became known as Moodle Mike, <laughs> um, <laughs> and essentially helping create this, this virtual learning environment across the school so all the departments could upload their work and and students could submit homework and, and, and things and really try and build this online community. And yeah, I mean, that alongside many other projects, the school went through what was called uh, a BSF, uh, Wave 2. So they were getting given funding to basically rebuild the school. Mm -hmm. uh, it was years old. It used to be an orphanage. Um, so with that came quite a decrepit building at this stage. So they were getting this new building and the infrastructure to go with it. So I got involved in a lot of the discussions there around digital strategy. Um, and then I started helping other schools set up uh, that, that Moodle, their BLA. Uh, I was doing website design as a side hustle. So I had quite a few things going on, but really cut my teeth at Cardinal Heenan and got to experience the amount of innovation that goes on in, from, from, from different teachers and different classes. They're bringing back these ideas. I was going to the likes of the Bet Show and bringing back new innovations. And I just thought, yeah, we need to scale all this up. And that led me on to innovate my school. Um, but yeah, Cardinal Heenan really helped uh, inspire me to do a lot of things I'm doing now. That is that is amazing. Um, how kind of you took that opportunity and you really like created then a real a career for yourself and you built your own company, identifying this kind of gap in the market. Um, in your opinion now, um, what would you say the, the main issues that schools face in terms of education? Well, that's a broad question. Uh, I'll focus on procurement, I suppose, and technology. That's my world. So I think, obviously, everyone's just gone through this massive experiment of trialing loads of technology. Um, most likely of your school in England, Google or Microsoft, mm -hmm. because the government made it free for every school. So now every school has some form of digital strategy, which is great because I think we've, we've moved, we've, we've advanced like five, 10 years uh, into adopting technology and building an early stage strategy. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of work to do and I think schools are now going to hopefully move into a more comprehensive aspirational strategy like where do we actually want to be now we've all got confidence around using technology and we've seen some amazing examples around the world of how schools have 
managed to flip their learning and seamlessly provide uh, a blended learning, hybrid learning experience throughout the pandemic. Uh, so I think support around digital strategy, it holds the key really to effective use of technology in every way. So what should our tech infrastructure look like? What uh, What's the change management? Like, How are we going to support it? What does the leadership want? Where do we want to be? Uh, what type of teaching and learning do we want to uh, deliver uh, beyond the school day, beyond the classroom? Um, what ecosystem of products? So, so what software tools are we going to use to do that? Um, and, and what training are we going to provide? Because it, it, it shouldn't just be a one-time hit. Uh, so I think around digital strategy is definitely the next one. And obviously, there's the big... Uh, gap around access to devices and yeah. um, you know that's been much talked about uh, so that's probably one of the biggest challenges to overcome first um, there's a lot a lot of initiatives popping up now and maybe the government will will keep keep delivering there to provide laptops um, and then not everyone was able to get one so th there is more work to be done there yeah. and do you think um, the the kind of slowly uh, kind of adapting to, to kind of technology is it is it depending on kind of teachers not being exposed enough to all the tools that they could use uh, and then kind of when they find one then they don't know how to proceed uh, maybe it's too complex for them what is what would you say is the the, the biggest barrier between um, a kind of a teacher adopting uh, an amazing kind of attack tool and using it with the with the students. I think it boils down to well, I've mentioned the strategy, but the implementation that comes with that. So there's so many examples of a project kicking off and being pioneered by this outstanding teacher who's then left or, or, or becomes too busy, and, and then the whole thing just falls away and fizzles out, and it falls into the the cupboard of shame the virtual cupboard of shame and then <laughs> it becomes another cost everyone becomes a little bit more uh, risk averse and then the next time another one comes along everyone's a bit, bit skeptical around using that so it becomes a bit of a, a vicious cycle and there's been lots of that in the past um, but I think with effective implementation and to be fair more support from the suppliers which I think they're, they're putting in now around customer success you know, we've moved from, uh, there's a lot of cloud-based SaaS products being used in schools now, usually on an annual subscription or even monthly. So that supplier's got to work hard to, to get that renewal now. Um, and I think schools are getting a bit more ruthless with, with auditing and business managers who are coming in with industry experience who are able to quite easily chop out things that aren't being used. So. Uh, I think the suppliers are working harder, and I think I think a lot hasn't been said around the impacts the tools are actually having as well. Mm. Like again, going back to evidence, really, I think schools need to know like why they're actually using the tool, like what what we what what impact do we want to achieve, what's the metric we're going to measure here, rather than just like let's use this tool um, because you know it's a lesson plan or the kids seem engaged like let's start collecting our own evidence exactly. at school and not rely entirely. Like one thing you're, you're procuring, say you're asking the supplier, show me the evidence base, maybe you trial the product and collect your own evidence at that stage. But once you've got it in the school, 
it shouldn't stop there. Like keep going with it, you know, survey the students, interview the teachers, um, measure, collect the data use um, maybe if it's about measuring learning, then do some pre and post assessments. You know, you establish a baseline, establish where are we today, where are we now at the end of the year or in three months' time. There's lots of different ways they could assess. Yeah. So I think it's about better evaluation in the school and workload is always going to be the biggest barrier to that. But you know, we're not running randomized control trials here. We're just talking about collecting more data. And at times, is it's not even about kind of collecting because the, the the teacher is there administering the classes and everything. So it's just about kind of um, um, sorting it in in the right places and probably being a bit more organized with it. And of course, doing kind of long studies uh, with kind of uh, students that uh, try to try the new product or. Uh, kind of experienced a whole, I don't know, year uh, using the product and comparing, I don't know, against the previous year, what is the actual engagement? What is the what is the kind of percentage of the students that really remember um, what we taught? Um, but again, some some of those things are a bit harder probably to to assess, like engagement. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's tricky, and you know, you can spend a lot of money uh, paying for. Uh, studies to be conducted on this, but I think it's important that you should keep pushing to, to build that. You know, that's the business case that, as to why someone should invest in you and, and buy your product. And equally, equally on the school side, I think, yeah, if you want to keep using it, um, then yeah, build your own evidence is really important. Um, and so now that we're kind of hoping, hopefully, um, coming at the end of the pandemic. Um, the past kind of the past year has been really tough on education, and schools kind of had to quickly uh, find ways to to really deliver distance learning and and keep the kids kind of keep them occupied and keep them engaged, of course, with homework and and things like that. And so, my question for you is: Have you seen any shifts? in the ad tech industry during the pandemic and if so what is the thing that surprised you the most well i've never seen so many product launches um, <laughs> since the start of the year everyone's adapting to have a digital solution if they didn't have one in place you know face-to-face -face selling and customer su support has had to change and yeah so people are i'm seeing a bit of a amalgamation like tools are doing a lot more now you know they're either coming together and being acquired into bigger all-in-one platforms um there's a lot of movement going on around the mis market you know, a lot of acquisitions there and see a management information system sits at the heart of the school so um people are looking long term at you know if you, as an investment um i think i'm seeing a lot around adaptive learning now I'm pretty interested in that myself of where tools will use AI and machine learning to basically tailor or customize the learning journey for the student based on how they respond to questions and how long they take everything like that so I think that has the power to really transform learning outside the school um, and save a lot of time for the, for the teachers yeah. um, That's really like a 
the best solution because often um, you talk about, of course, systems, okay, you can administer tasks and things like that, but one of the main issues probably with schools is that the programs are kind of based on calculating on averages. So they fit the majority, but they don't fit all students. So I agree with you on this kind of finding something that can be adapted and can be tailored to different students. Um, and uh, student A doesn't even have to know that student B is having, I don't know, half an hour longer to complete an assignment or something like that, that I find uh, extremely beneficial. Yeah, yeah, and it's only gonna grow. There's, I think, 46 adaptive learning platforms in, in EdTech Impact right now. Um, so, you know, and that's, that, that that's just growing and growing and the reviews for those are coming in extremely positive. Um, two of the other trends I've seen is the generosity of the edtech industry to make their platform free um, or even to produce a, a rate of knots, a, a, a parent version almost overnight. Um, and, you know, I know a lot of these companies are quite early stage. I think someone said 50% of the edtech industry is startup. So, you know, these guys will, won't have much of a runway to survive and they're now just wiping all their revenue and making the product free. So I think seeing that was was great. Um, I don't think that gets recognized much. Mm -hmm. Always from the school perspective, like what's, you know, yeah, how's it gonna help my school? Like, well, these guys are taking massive risks to, to actually still be here to, to do all this. Another one that I have is since you, you know, you work with kind of tech companies um, and you know a lot about them and you know, um, of course, what they, what they do and how they do it and kind of how, they're, how well they're doing. Um, do you need, there is, there is a need of kind of more training for teachers um, to be able to kind of deliver stronger lessons to children and then prepare them for a tech world. You think we're, what is, what is the thing that we need to kind of go to the next step? Because now we've seen, okay, schools are adapting slowly. What is the next step? Because we know that probably most of these kids, when they grow, will have to kind of build their own or make their own kind of career out of probably jobs that don't exist this very moment. And it's probably gonna, gonna have to, you know, it's going to be linked to technology and in the internet. And so do you think then, how can we support teachers kind of bring more technology? I think it's, you're right, it's around training, ongoing training. It's not just send someone to a training session for the day. It's, you know, look what's going in, going on outside of, in, in higher education with, uh, micro credentials and this like continuous uh, personal development. There's so many online courses that people are doing now, and I think that hasn't really transferred fully to education or the role of teachers. Um, and ultimately, yeah, they've got to keep skilling up. You know, it's scenario of the, the students being better than the, the the teacher delivering a computing lesson is, you know, that can't happen. So. Mm. Yeah, you're right. It's it, it's about investment in training, um, and that's going to bring confidence, which has been one of the biggest barriers to edtech adoption over the years. Um, so yeah, a, a clear vision and training plan for, for for supporting all of your staff through through the future, 
Um, you're right, the digital skills gap is, is huge. Um, I think training or, or support for the, on the student side around the soft skills as well, like preparing them for, for work. Um, you know, I've had various apprentices through Innovate My School and it is quite worrying at the, at the level that they're at when, when you first, when you go through the interviews. And I think just the more preparation we can give for the real world and what it's like, uh, the better. You know, it's not, it's not rosy. It, there's going to be ups and downs. You need strong resilience. Um, you know, there's a lot of exciting tech roles now. You know, EdTech Impact is, a, I'd like to think, an exciting tech startup. But it's not all been bags and benefits. There's, there's a lot of, uh, it, 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 there's a lot of hard work. Um, but with that comes lots of upside and lots of learning and development. And I think the more we can coach students into that mindset of like a growth mindset, continuous learning and the teachers too, then we're all going to be better off. I agree with you. Um, I have exhausted uh, the number of questions uh, in terms of education and systems, because you really like you really kind of touched upon so many things um and um and i think some some things that we just talked about are also kind of caused by just generational gaps and so some things i think um schools can do something about but some others you know there, there will always be some sort of kind of generation generational gap um especially when, when it comes to technology but I agree with you with more training um, given to the teachers by the school and by the, of course, the companies that um, want contracts, uh, then I'm sure that uh, a better future is going to be built um, for, for the kids of today. Yeah, definitely. I just think that there's so many distractions for the kids of today now. I yeah, mean probably it's, it's more of a concentration um, kind of thing and just, kind of teaching kids to focus on something but yeah everything is yeah it's it's fast and then and when I was 10 or 12 I didn't have all the kind of all the things that I see kids have right now like a tablet and a phone and then a laptop um, and then you're you're watching uh, something on YouTube and learning something and then you you take the phone of your mom or dad and you kind of play a game and then at the same time you use the computer, you follow, you do an assignment and there's always like, yeah, you're right. There's a lot of distractions, but I still don't, don't, don't see a way out of that. It might seem a bit left field, but I don't know if you followed any of the European Super League debate in football. Oh, yes. And, yeah. You know, one of the concerns is that the, the kids will not be as interested or engaged, so they're trying to make it you know, they're trying to pitch the best teams against the best continually. And it sort of links back to what we just said about the kids having so many distractions. Like, even football's got to work extra hard to try and keep them engaged. And so imagine being a teacher. I think it just highlights just how hard that is to yeah. keep them engaged in, in learning um, when they can't even stay engaged in football. So um, we've got to think of new ways to do that. Absolutely. I think you know about and probably I don't know, one of the things that come to mind to me is that like if you if you make it more about them and less about you as a teacher in terms of 
the talking for an hour and a half uh, and kind of actually asking more questions instead or um, kind of listen, listening to what the students say and kind of have them give feedback. I remember in my time at school, um, I wasn't really asked those things ever. You had to kind of, that is the lesson, you listen, then you study and you do. And I think some change is happening now, but of course more more is needed to kind of really listen to what are the needs of, of the, the kids. Maybe some are acting out or because of specific reasons. And I think whenever we make more, a bit more effort to really try to understand that person, then we get more out of it. But I also understand from a teacher perspective, having 20, 30 and multiple classes, how do you manage to give the right amount of time to each individual kid, and that that is that is the, the hard question. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's got to be a blend between teacher time, face to face, and and, and technology. Um, but it's it, it's a challenge. You're right. And one last question: um, What do you think is the parents' role in this? So when when a student finishes um, kind of day at the school and comes back home. And um, and has to do the homework or whatever. Like, what is the role then of parents in supporting that? Do you think it's what do you think it is? Well, it's massively influential. I think if they are involved and enthusiastic about what's going on, technology is opening out, opening up uh, what's going on a lot more now, and providing access to homework being set and analytics on performance. Um, and I, I think anything that can involve them more in, in the day-to-day -day and make them, give them more skin in the game, I yeah. think. You know, I saw Cardinal Heenan, uh, parents who had no involvement whatsoever, various reasons, and, you know, it was, all, it was entirely down to the school to bring that child up and nurture them and feed them, um, give them a warm building. So, um it's such a shame when you see that happen. Obviously, there's always various reasons, but I think there's no excuse with the technology now. You know, I, I saw even the school offered free laptops and less than half turned up to collect them. And that was quite an eye-opener for me. Wow. Um, that is heartbreaking. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, you know, some of them were, were sold and things. Um, so, there's obviously, there's there's lots of, other factors at play uh, in, around the country, depending on where you are. But I think it's we have to keep building them in. It, yeah, it's not. It can't just be transactional. Like they've got to be a stake, a key stakeholder, and have skin in the game. And I think just opening up what's going on in the school day is a good start. And there's lots of systems now. Um, I'll mention EdTicketBot again. There's lots of parent engagement tools on there uh, that. Are enabling, you know, real-time access, um, that minimal effort for the school as well to, to do this. So I, th I think, you know, some of these tools are don't cost much money. Uh, so hopefully, there's that's what we're going to see more of in the future. Let's hope so. Michael, thanks a lot for your time. Thanks for for really talking to me um, about education. Um, been it's been a pleasure. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you.